right, well, we are in a series called Liar, Liar, Life on Fire. And what we are talking about is the idea that we have these lies that we've been told um, by ourselves sometimes, by um, culture sometimes, and even sometimes by uh, demonic forces. I, I uh, actually believe that in those things. And uh, th- these lies can get in to our uh, psyche and can mess us up and can, um, we can get, our life becomes on fire. And so we've talked about some of these lies. We talked about the lie that you need to be in control. And we said you can't be in control. You never have been, never will be, and you are not in control. But when we try to control, our life goes on fire. We talked about the idea that the lie of you need to be happy, and we talked about just trying to be happy can cause our life to be on fire. We talked about the idea that we need to escape, we need to get away, that we can't handle it, that we need to run to some other thing other than God to handle our problems. This morning, uh, I want to talk about another lie, one that um, uh, is very prevalent and uh, one that for some of you, you might not think applies to you. Um, and so, uh, so what I want you to do, if you kind of feel like you're not in that camp, I would like you to be thinking about somebody you know that might be in this camp. As you're listening to me speak and you think about maybe someone who's apart from God that might need to hear what I'm about to say this morning. I'm going to show you a series of pictures of my wretched children uh, doing things that they're not supposed to be doing. And uh, here's one. Uh, I, they, I've cleared this with all of them. Well, at least one of them. Uh, the one that has the most pictures. And um, so this is eating ribs like an animal, okay? I don't know where that rib came from. And um, uh, we did have a dog at the time, so there we go. This is the um, I'm guilty uh, picture. Uh, I don't know what was going on in the, in the foliage there, but that's um, guilty. Uh, this is one of my children who uh, dumped an entire bag of cat food on the floor and then started consuming it. Uh, this is my daughter who doesn't know how to eat cake. She's got it all over her face. This is my other daughter who doesn't know how to eat cake. She's got it all over her face. This is my daughter when we first had her. I had this business trip. Yeah. I'm handling it super well. Um, We had this business trip to San Francisco, and my company said, hey, why don't you bring Lisa? You guys can go have a nice dinner and stay at a nice hotel and all that. And uh, we couldn't find a sitter for Audrey. And so we thought, well, that's okay. She normally sleeps when we put her in the the, the carrying thing. So we, we, we got this really nice place to go eat. And she just cried and cried and cried and cried. And before we even ordered it, we just said, we're out of here. And she just kept crying and crying and crying and crying. And we ended up eating like clam chowder out of one of those bread bowls from like a cart that was on the Embarcadero. Remember that? And uh, just ruined the whole time. So she's horrible. This is a time (laughs) when... uh, when Emily and her friend Summerlin, who they, they now go to college together, filled up, uh, we were renting a house in Garden Grove, and we had a jacuzzi tub, and they filled it up with bubbles, and it just f- overflowed all onto the floor and everything, and they thought that was great, that was horrible. Here's uh, Emily spitting up, that's uh, disgusting. Here's my son, who, while Lisa was washing the floors, he decided to dump the whole thing over and then swim around like a fish. He looks incredibly guilty there. Uh, another child that can't 
eat cake. Um, this is my daughter drinking directly from the water thing with just disgusting food all over. I could not drink water for that entire day. And then uh, one of my children found a purple pen. And uh, <laughs> that, that is the result. I'll tell you what, I'll leave you with that one. Um, my kids have done all sorts of terrible things as well, things we didn't take pictures of because the most uh, offensive ones are not the ones you typically think, hey, honey, go grab the camera. You're like, hey, honey, go grab something else. And so, uh, so you, uh, to, you, know, you have all these things. Now, here, here's the thing. I, I joke around, and you know, I sh I'm showing you pictures of my kids and all that. And, uh, and so I can say you know, they, they can't eat cake, or they're dirty, or they messed up, or all that kind of stuff. But but if you started saying that about my kids, we'd have a totally different conversation. Like if you started saying my kids are dirty or how come they, keep, they can't shape up or all that kind of stuff. Because my perspective of a father is different than your perspective as an observer. Does that make sense? And you probably have loved ones in your life that are just playing the fool. They are messing your whole life up. You're, you're pulling your hair out, and then somebody says something bad about them, and you're like, mm -mm, no, we're not going there, right? Even though they might not be doing that great right now. What we're going to see this morning is that your heavenly Father feels the exact same way about you as I do about my kids, even though at times they might get dirty. We're going to look in a series of uh, scriptures. This is just a wonderful uh, time. Jesus is really in the thick of his ministry now. And he's got all these people just sitting around listening to him. And it's wonderful. It, 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 it's awesome. And so we're, this is where we're catching him. We're catching him as he's in the thick of ministry. And the Pharisees are looking at what he's doing. And it's found in Luke chapter 15 starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now these tax collectors and sinners were hated by the Jewish people. Imagine your neighbor works for the IRS. If they do, be nice to your neighbor, okay? But let's imagine they work for the IRS. But it's worse than that. It's worse than that. Because what happens is the IRS tells them, look, from every single one of your neighbors, we need $1,000, and that's it. Anything you get beyond that is yours, okay? And so um, that's, that's the whole, whole thing. And so he says, you know, if, if you go. So now you're going to your neighbor, and you're like, hey, Chuck, how's it going, buddy? Uh, good to see you. And Chuck says, yeah, um, it's tax time, and uh, I'm going to need two grand from you. And you go, wait a minute. The government only needs 1000 And he says, yeah. Right? So if you could give me that 2000 that would be great. And you're like, seriously? We've been neighbors for like 15 years. You're going to like extort $1,000 from me? Yeah, if you could just get that to me, that would be awesome. Now, you would be infuriated. You'd walk inside, and the first thing you'd say to your spouse is, if he ever goes, yeah, one more time, I'm going to punch him. Right? Because you know what's fair, and they're extorting you. That's what a tax collector was. It was a Jewish person that was 
uh, given this, this license by the Roman government. And if you didn't pay your $2,000, the Roman government came after you. So they wielded a lot of power. And then there was sinners who were unclean. And this is a very religious uh, um, uh, culture they have going. And, and purity laws were very, very important to them. And so Jesus is speaking with these people. He's allowing himself to be around these people. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Everyone has an opinion about you. Everyone. Everyone you come into contact has an opinion about you. They think you're attractive, not attractive, smart, not smart. Your parents have an opinion about you. Your kids have an opinion about you. Your coworkers have an opinion about you. Your boss has an opinion about you. Your kids have an opinion about you. Your boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse has an opinion about you. Everyone you come into contact has an opinion about you and about me. You have an opinion about you. You might think you're not quite there yet. You might think you're all that and you've been there for a long time and you're doing just fantastic. And these opinions may be right or wrong or just a little skewed. You might think that you're a really nice person and the people that sit across from you are like, you are really not a nice person, okay? Or vice versa. Everyone, including yourself, has an opinion about you. But it's only God's opinion that matters. It is only God's opinion that matters. God's opinion actually matters more than your opinion, <laughs> God's opinion matters more than your boss's opinion. Now you say, yeah, but John, uh, you know, my boss's opinion kind of is really, really important. Here's what I'd have to say to you and what I have to say to myself. If I consume myself with God's opinion, all those other things are going to work themselves out. So if I, were, if I just care about what's God's opinion, what is God thinking about my actions, about my thoughts, about where I'm at. If, if, if God, if I'm just thinking about that and I'm hearing from him, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, including myself. And so this is where Jesus is. He's talking to tax collectors and sinners. He's around people that he really shouldn't be around in that culture. And some people have some opinions, the Pharisees. And so Jesus launches into three stories. He starts one story about uh, someone losing a coin. They have ten coins, and they lose one, and they go and they search all over for that coin, and they finally find it, and they rejoice. And then he tells a story about sheep. There's some sheep, and they lose one, and they go and find the sheep, and, and, and they find the sheep, and then they rejoice. And then I, I, again, I tend to sometimes think too much into the Bible and, and read too much into it because I, just the heart of Jesus is so important. But then he switches gears to another story, a personal story, an intimate story. If I were him, I would have told the two stories and gone, I don't think they get it. I don't think I'm explaining this enough. Jaws aren't dropping. People aren't shaking their heads going, wow, Really? And so he launches into the story we're going to see right now. And he says this. He says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. 
The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, just so we're clear, uh, it works. But here's the thing you have to understand about this culture. This is shocking. <laughs> the son is basically saying, because this younger son was going to get a third of the inheritance. That's just the way it worked. The eldest son got the lion's share of the inheritance, and then uh, it started to dwindle down as you, as you uh, were born. So like my brother, he's older than me. He always got everything more than me. So um, he's probably watching on Facebook Live. Okay, so anyway. So, so this is what was happening uh, even back then. The, the atrocities were, were, were going on. But the fact that he would go to his dad and say, I want my share of the estate now, essentially what he's saying in this culture is, I wish you were dead. It's a very transactional relationship between him and his father. His father is, he's seen his father as somebody who can give him something, get him something. It's very transactional. In many ways, I think we are the same way with our Heavenly Father. See, what he's saying is, I've appreciated the transactions you've provided for me. You've given me a job. You've given me a roof over my head. Um, you know, I know that everything's pretty buttoned up around here, but I need another transaction. I need something else. I, I need to do my own thing. And so he says, I, I kind of wish you were dead. Now, the listeners to this story, everybody there, tax collectors, sinners, Pharisees, all have an opinion about this guy, all of them. And, and it's not good. Because he's essentially disrespecting his, his family. And they also have an opinion about the dad. Because they know the dad is going to light this kid up. Going to be like, how dare you? He has the authority to like, kick him out, to shrink his, oh, you really want your inheritance now? Great, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give it all to you, but it's going to be 4% instead of 30%. Have a nice day. You're just waiting. If you're listening to the story, you're waiting for the father to do something like that, because this is incredibly disrespectful. So what comes next would have shocked the listeners. So he divided his property between them. He says, okay, if it's just transactional, and you want to take it and go do your own transactions, go for it. Now, you might think to yourself, well, wow, man, no consequences or anything? Well, just hold on. We'll just keep going in the story. But he, he, divides this, he divides this property up between them. Very transactional. Now watch this. This is incredible. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. Also, to divide this up wasn't just taking a withdrawal out of the 401k. You had to sell property. You had to sell cattle. You had to sell lots of different things to get this right. And so it was just very time-consuming. And right after he gets, or not long after that, uh, he got together all he had. He set off for a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, again, the, the listeners to this. Okay, so first of all, to go to any other country other than the country God gave you for them. Like, this is where the temple was. This was the hub of everything of their culture. So to go to another country, a Gentile country, to live and spend what you got from your dad from here is so shameful. This culture is an honor, shame society. You have shamed your family. So th think of it this way. Let's say you go up to your parents or somebody loved one and you say, yeah, you know what? 
I've kind of been waiting for you to die because to get some of the inheritance and that's not happening. Unfortunately, you started working out and you look fantastic and I think it's not working great for me. And then they take your money and they go, think of a country that just has wretched, wretched people that are completely different than you. Their culture's different. Everything's different. They're just horrible, horrible people. Like, like Canada. Okay. <laughs> so you, I've been waiting all week to tell that joke. I'm sorry. Okay. So you take your money and you go to Canada and and everyone around you, everyone around you, you're, you're, uh, are saying, hey, where's, where's your kid or whatever? And, and it's, it's shameful. Ten times worse than that in this particular society. So the fact that he wastes all his money in this Gentile land is just ridiculously dumb. After he had spent everything, there was a f- severe famine. Now check this out. And he began to be in need. By now you can kind of realize some of the players in the story. You can get an idea. The name of the story is very famous. It's called the prodigal son. Uh, Actually, prodigal just means recklessly extravagant. It, It doesn't mean the son that left and came back. What the name of the story should be is the amazing father. The forgiving father. Because in this story, as we're going to see, there's only one opinion that matters in the entire story, and that's the opinion of the Father. But I wanted to talk a little bit about this particular verse. Because some of you have been here before, in a place where you began to squander maybe some of the things that God had given you, and you found yourself in a place you didn't expect, away from him, and you found yourself in need. You might be in that place right now where you just feel far from God. Some of you might be in a place right now where you you just got the windfall. (laughs) Something just really worked out for you. you. You got the relationship you were looking for. You got the promotion you were looking for. Things are starting to turn around, and you're trying to think of, where am I gonna settle in this new place that I'm at. At some point, if you find yourself far away from your Heavenly Father, you are going to get to a place, maybe it'll take some time, where you are going to end up in need. Now, for those of you who are planning on leaving God because it's just not working out for you, and just if you would remember one thing, when that time happens... Remember the rest of this story. So, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Again, Jesus is just twisting the knife in this story. Pigs were unclean animals for that society. You wouldn't have anything to do with pigs. You you wouldn't eat them, you wouldn't touch them, whatever. You wouldn't do anything. They're unclean animals. And he has to go feed them. So now it's like, he goes to Canada. He works for a Canadian at a Canadian bacon factory. Okay, that's what it is like. And, and you're not allowed to touch Canadian bacon. Okay, that's, that's what it looks like. And that's where he is. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. And then there's six words 
That is my prayer to you. If you are in this place away from God, if you're in a place where maybe you're starting to think, I think I made a mistake. If you are in a place where you are uh, wondering, look, John, I loved the picture of your kids. That was great. One of them, you know, was practically choking on a rib and they, were, they can't eat cake and all that kind of stuff. But you, if you knew what I did, if, if we started showing pictures of my 20s, no. Nah. <laughs> no, that's totally different. Like you say you love your kids no matter what, but not for what I've done. Maybe not for what I'm doing. Maybe not for what, how last night ended. But if you could just get these six words, no matter where you're at or what you've done or how much you think of yourself, when he came to his senses, there came a time when he finally said, you know what? In the words of Dr. Phil, how's that working out for you? <laughs> you know? When he finally just said, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? Now, coming to your senses can be very painful because when you come to your senses, oftentimes you have to admit or acknowledge from whence you came. So for him, coming to his senses was, I was with my father. I had everything I needed. I, I had servants. I had uh, a job. I had an inheritance. I had my family. I had my community. I had the temple. I had the Sabbath. I had all these things, all this structure in my life, all these things. But I had to go with one more transaction. I had to use my father for one more thing, and then here's where I find myself. If that's where you are right now, my prayer for you is that you would come to your senses. Yes, mistakes were probably made. Yes, you're not in the place your heavenly father wants you in. But watch what he does. He comes to his senses and says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death? You know what is really neat about this? He knows his father's a good man. His father even takes care of his servants and gives them food to spare. He knows the heart of his father as it relates to people. I will set out and go back to my father. Damn. If you find yourself away from God, come to your senses and go back. Because what happens next is so beautiful. He comes up with what he's going to say to try to convince his dad. And he knows what he's done. He knows that he went to a Gentile country. He knows he squandered the inheritance. He knows he shamed his father. And so he comes up with this, this kind of idea of repentance. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And this is the conclusion he comes to when he comes to that conclusion, when he comes to his senses. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Here's the lie. <laughs> Here's the lie that we want to avoid. I am no longer worthy to be called your daughter. 
This idea that you could do something that would just cause your heavenly father to shake his head and say, this is too much. I'm done. If you're willing to come to your senses, if you're willing to say, you know what? I realize what I've done is wrong. And you get up and you go to your heavenly father. But the idea that you're not worthy to be called his daughter or his son is a lie. And you'll tell yourself that lie to keep you from going back. Others will tell you that lie to keep you from going back. Satan will tell you that lie to keep you from going back. Because everybody knows that's the place you're supposed to be. He says, I'm no longer worthy to call your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he's, 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 he's still transactional. Do you see that? It's like, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the next deal, okay? First deal, I take a third of the stuff. I go out, I party. Okay, that didn't work, all right? So now we've got this new thing. Um, I'll just come back, transaction, and I'll just be like one of your hired servants. And that sounds to him like it's a good plan. Make a deal with dad. And this is a pretty good deal. I think it's something dad would, would like. You know what's interesting? Your heavenly father doesn't make deals with you. <laughs> Unfortunately. Because I have some doozies that I'd love to barter with him on, okay? He doesn't, he doesn't do deals. That's not his job. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off. In other words, he didn't have to get there yet. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. A dignified Jewish male, the head of a household, doesn't run. Okay? Workers run, workers, you can see workers' legs because they're in the fields and all that. He would have a robe on. He wouldn't lift up his robe, gather it to his waist, and sprint out. But he does. You know why? Because his son is worthy to be called a son. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. Uh, this analogy won't, for some of you who haven't had kids, I'm sorry. I, I, uh, but when our kids were growing up, um, you know, you'd get them into a crowd, either a crowd of other kids or whatever. You'd take them to the park, and there'd be, you know. And then at some point, at least with my wretched children, uh, there would be a time where I couldn't see them. I didn't know where they were. And so I'd get this panic, like just this immediate, like, oh, no. And I'd just start scanning. And what's really cool, I don't know how God did this with us, but if you threw like a thousand kids in a room, I could find my kid like that. I could find their, uh, through their mannerisms, through the way one of their ponytails usually swings around. I mean, just, their, just the way they are. I could hear their voice picked out. They could, all the kids could be talking. And well, if they were, I wouldn't be there. But if uh, all the kids could be talking, I'd pick my kid's voice out. Right? Why? Because she's my daughter. He's my son. And then what would I do? I would go towards them. <laughs> because that sense of relief of, I found them, I found them. I'm not just going to sit there and go, oh, good, found them. Cool, 
I'll try that out again in the next 15 minutes, all right? No, you go to, hey, 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 you got to stay in the area. You got to be around here. You got to, you know, watch out, you know, all these kind of stuff. This is how our Heavenly Father is. He, he sees you. He knows who you are. And even when you're f- far off and you just come to your senses and you go, you know what? I'm ready to come back. He's searching and he's waiting. And when he sees you coming back, he does not want you to fail. And he will meet you wherever you are. And this is what happens. And so the son goes with his plan, probably a plan he'd been research, uh, uh, um, rehearsing the whole trip, right? Okay, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, please help me come back as one of your servants. I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, please, you know, he's just kind of going through, okay, what if, he's, what if he's not home? Okay, do I sit in the yard? <laughs> you know, do I, you know, do I get one of the servants to go, hey, hide me out? Like, how, how is this all going to go down? What an sh- absolute shock! As he's coming to see his dad, trying to figure out how this is going to work, his dad is booking it across the field to meet him. Now, depending on how he saw his dad, many times in my life, if my dad was booking it across the field, (laughs) I would then turn (laughs) and I would start booking it through said field, okay? If you, see your, if you see your heavenly father like that, like, wait, if I come back, he's going to start coming at me? Nah, you know what? I'll tell you what. I'll stay in Canada, okay? Right? But that doesn't seem to happen. And he's ready, he's ready to share his thing again. So uh, uh, he starts kissing him, and his son says, Father, he's going through the thing he memorized. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then before he can get to just make me one of your hired servants, it's like the dad wasn't even listening. Like, what? You're no longer worthy to call my son? Okay, anyway. And then he starts talking to the servants. He says, But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine, this daughter of mine, was dead and is alive again. He or she was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. He didn't even ask the son where he went. He didn't even say, hey, uh, you got any of that money left over? (laughs) You know, the third of the estate that I gave you. Uh, Is that like hidden under a rock that we can go find? He didn't say, where have you been? What, you, what have you done? Where have you, you know, do you know what? Do you know what shame you put our family through? That's for the other people to have. That, that, that's, that, those are the opinions for the scribes and the Pharisees. Those are the opinions for the people reading the story. Those are the opinions of, of, of tax collectors and sinners and all that. Everyone's going to have an opinion about you. Even when you come back to your Heavenly Father, everyone's going to have an opinion. How long will they last? Well, you're going to have an opinion. I've come back so many times, I don't even know. There's only one opinion that matters, and it's the opinion of your Heavenly Father. So, here are some other opinions. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, because it was back at the ranch, uh, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? And the servant says, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because 
uh, he has him back safe and sound. Now, I just read into that story that servant with that voice. But there's lots of different opinions about this son. So I very easily could have said this. Your brother's come home. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Okay. <laughs> right? He could have done that. He could have been like, and your brother's come back. And now your dad's killed the fatted calf because he's back safe and sound. Right? It doesn't matter what the servant's opinion is. It doesn't matter. There's only one opinion that matters. The father's. But the son is pretty ticked off. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. And quite honestly, listen guys, I don't blame him. I would be so angry. And I'd just be like, how, how is this happening? You know what I'd say? I, I, I'm a pastor, but I would even say these horrific words. That's not fair, okay? I'd even say, I'd even go that far to say that's not fair. I'd even go so far as to say, Dad, what are you thinking? Why are you doing this? He's worthless. And he, he almost says something like that later. But watch this. So here's this brother miring in his unfairness. He's got his own opinion. And the father could come out and go, listen, dude, I don't care anything about what you think. I'm, I'm the dad. But watch what happens. Look at the heart of this heavenly father. For the person who hadn't left, that had been doing everything right, the father goes out and pleads with him. Doesn't correct him. Doesn't slap him. Doesn't say, you know what? Fine then. You're only getting a third. See how you like it. Doesn't, he pleads with him. Here's what he says. He answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Right, okay. Okay. Uh, Yet, you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. Wah! Okay? <laughs> Did you just say wah, too? That was awesome. Okay. That was great. Watch, watch how he references his brother. But when this son of yours, I wonder if he did air quotes, right? But this son of yours, right, who has squandered your, your property with prostitutes, how did he know that? Okay, was the son posting on Facebook? Like, I mean, what? How, how would he? No, no, he has an opinion about what his brother was doing. So he calls him the son of yours. He's, he comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. He says, my son, the father said, you are always with me. See, even this older son had a transactional relationship with his father. I did the right thing, you're supposed to do this. He didn't do the right thing. You're not supposed to do this. I did it. I get it. All this kind of stuff. Meanwhile, the father's going, we were together. Like, this is what he missed out on. He missed out on this. Your brother was dead. He calls him your brother. We have to celebrate and, and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And that is the only opinion that matters. Now, I want to just read one other verse as Ajua comes back up. 
she's going to read a poem that she wrote while I was preaching. And um, One of the people who got this down was Paul. See, I realize in a, in a you know, kind of number of people this size, some of you might be thinking, John, you know what, it kind of sounds like you're telling people it's okay to just go and do whatever you want and then come back again, right? Okay, so next week, we're going to go over the lie of just be yourself, okay? So we're going to cover that, all right? But for this morning, I want you to see somebody who got this down. His name's uh, Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul. He planted churches all over the place, and all those churches had opinions about Paul. Everybody in that church had an opinion about Paul. And as a matter of fact, he wrote a couple letters to the church in Corinth explaining, hey, look, I know what you guys, you guys say this about me. His, la- his letters are weighty, but face to face, he's not that big of a hot shot and all this kind of stuff. And so he, Paul comes to this conclusion. And, and, and look at the tension that Paul is marrying. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear. Now, doesn't that sound like, wow. Like, I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm going to do what I want. It does sound like that. Except, he doesn't stop there. He, he takes it one step further because he actually believes there's only one opinion that matters. He says this, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. And that can be even more intimidating. (laughs) He's almost saying this, look, call me whatever you want, do whatever you want. All I can do right now is try to make my relationship right with my Heavenly Father. It's His opinion that matters. So you might think I'm this way or whatever. I I can't help you. I've got to just focus on, I got to be home with my dad. I got to get his opinion. That young man could have said, hey, dad, can I talk to you for a second? I I just have this burning desire to get out of here. I want to get my inheritance. I just want to go do my thing. I mean, this is all perfect and it's all fine and everything, but I just have this itch to go to this other country and do exotic stuff. To which case is, father would have said okay well let's let's unpack that for a little bit why what's going on where that's different that's different and i think that's what paul would do he go man they're saying all these things about me what 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 is it what do you what can i do what do i have to change father what do i need to do